The following program is brought to you by We Are Many. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org. Sam Bernstein, who's a long-standing member of the of the International Socialist Organization, active in Seattle, uh, has contributed several articles to Socialist Worker and SocialistWorker.org, our daily online, um, and he'll be talking about uh, Marx's theory of crisis. So with that, I'm going to pass it over to Sam. Thanks. All right, so I'm hoping this talk is going to be accessible to people who are new to Marxist economics, so there's a lot to go over, so I'm just going <laughs> to dig right into it. Um, so a year ago at Socialism 2009, we were 18 months into the worst economic crisis uh, since the 1930s. The world economy was in free fall. Uh, the last fall, the economy did ultimately hit bottom, uh, and both the U.S. and world have, uh, economy have been recovering since, albeit in fits and starts. Uh, still, the recovery is not due to a resurgence of of private, private business investment or consumer spending, um, it's not due to a revitalization of the market. Uh, thanks to massive government intervention into the economy, the most immediate problems facing capitalism were relieved. Uh, but while the economic freefall that began two years ago is over, the crisis is continuing, uh, and now new contradictions have emerged at the heart of the global economy. While there's no confidence that recovery is, uh, is sustainable without ongoing state stimulus, the stimulus is producing deficit and debt problems, like in Greece, that could trigger a new stage in the crisis. The immediate, the immediate shift towards state intervention in the fall of 2008 has now tipped back as investors who refuse uh, to, as investors refuse to bankroll government uh, debt and insist on austerity. At the same time, none of the long-term contradictions in the U.S. and world economy that led to the Great Recession have been resolved. Rather than this being the beginning of a long-term uh, upswing, we are, in reality, living in the midst of a long period of instability and volatility. This is not just a cyclical boom-bust cycle of the kind that capitalism experiences every 10 years or so. Uh, this is a systemic crisis of international capitalism, a crisis that is rooted in the whole capitalist operating model of the last 30 years. Whole industries, economic sectors, uh, and national economies and even the nature of global trade are going to have to be restructured in order for capitalism to restore its overall profitability. And that long-term process is only just beginning. In the meantime, we can expect to see further cycles of collapse or stagnation within this longer-term crisis. So with capitalism stumbling through the throes of the worst economic crisis uh, in 80 years, the question of why capitalism fails, not just now, but repeatedly and consistently, is a crucial one. As working people are forced to pay by sacrificing their standard of living to gain an understanding of how the social system we live in works, what its dynamics are, and what, uh, what is at the root of its problems. And I think the only coherent and effective framework for analyzing how capitalism works and also how it doesn't uh, is Marxism. So what are the key dynamics uh, of capitalism that lead to uh, massive economic crisis? Uh, so like I said, before we can, uh, we can get into that, I think we need to understand just the basics um, of Marxist economics. So um, first I want to talk a little bit about the labor theory of value. Um, Marx looked at the basis upon which humans organize themselves throughout history. Uh, the key thing for humans is the ability to produce our means of survival, our need for food, clothing, shelter, etc., um, as well as the ability to reproduce, uh, so our need to raise a new generation of humans uh, who can continue the process. Uh, humans are also extremely innovative, constantly figuring out uh, ways to create more resources for our survival and also easier ways to do it. So what Marx saw um, as crucial to this whole process was the role of human labor. 
our survival depends completely on the work that we perform in order to make the things that we need to live. Uh, anything that uh, we make has to have what Marx called use value. Uh, it has to be useful to us. But humans also exchange the things that they make uh, through their labor. These things aren't exchanged on the basis of their usefulness. Uh, clearly, food is more useful than a car, uh, but cars are far more expensive than food. Uh, Marx looked at the basics for what, uh, the basis for what he called exchange value, uh, the common, common denominator upon which things could be exchanged, uh, more labor to make. So uh, the reason a car is more valuable than a radio uh, or a computer is more expensive than a pencil is it takes more time to produce those things. Uh, still, for most of human history, goods were produced for use, not for exchange. Uh, it's only with the rise of capitalism as a form of human social organization that exchange in the marketplace took center stage. So, uh, capitalism is completely organized around the exchange of goods and services or commodities. So now I want to move into exploitation and profit. Um, for capitalists, the purpose of exchange, uh, the purpose of selling something, is not to get something of equal value. Their aim is to get more than they started with. Uh, their entire goal is to make profits, not to make things that people actually need. Um, so as the CEO of U.S. Steel once put it, we're not in the business of making steel, we're in the business of making profits. Uh, so where does this profit actually come from? Marx explained that there is a crucial difference between what capitalists pay us for our labor and what they get uh, in return for our labor. So capitalists pay us for our ability to work. Uh, Marx called this our labor power. Um, and just like any other commodity, the value of labor power is determined by the labor time necessary to produce it. So to raise, educate, and train the worker, um, as well as to feed, clothe, and shelter the worker so they can get up the next day and go to work. Uh, but in return for buying our labor power, the capitalist gets the product of that labor. So the key here, um, as Paul D'Amato puts it in uh, The Meaning of Marxism, is that, quote, the value of labor power, that is wages, is less than the value of output that this labor can produce. So let's say uh, that I need $80 a day uh, in order to pay my rent, buy food, uh, pay off student loans, etc stuff every hour I'm on the job. So that means that within two hours, I've, uh, I've produced enough value to pay for my full day's wage, the $80. Um, and uh, so then the question is, what happens to the value that I produce during the remaining six hours of the day? And it's $240. Goes in the capitalist pocket as profit. Um, it's uh, surplus labor, labor beyond what is necessary for capitalists to pay for my labor power. And since labor creates value, uh, that surplus labor creates surplus value. Uh, once the capitalist sell those product, sells those products in exchange for money, the surplus value embodied uh, in the things I produced turns into uh, profit for the capitalist. So the source of profit is unpaid labor. Uh, Marx called this process exploitation. The capitalist gets more money than he started with because he pays out less than what he gets in return, and it's the worker who loses out. Um, and this is true whether you work in an actual factory or if you work in an office or a store or as a driver or whatever. Um, so now I want to talk a little bit about competition. Um, the entire goal of capitalism is to make as much profit as possible through exploiting workers and selling those products uh, on the market. So capitalists are constantly trying to undercut their competitors through selling their products at a cheaper price so that they can grab up more of the market and sell even more goods. Uh, it results in blind anarchy as each rival capitalist tries to outdo the next so that they can gain more profit. 
If they don't, their competitor will overtake them and put more than it costs to produce them. So they have to constantly lower production costs and increase the rate of exploitation. So they do this in two ways. Uh, first, they lower wages as much as possible um, or make workers work longer hours for the same pay. Uh, or even better uh, for them, <laughs> they make us work longer for less pay. Um, the second method to lower production costs uh, for the capitalists is to force workers to produce more in the same amount of time uh, to increase their productivity. So one way they, uh, that they do this is to for force workers to cut out any wasted time. So every, you know, you hear about time theft. Every, you know, second of the day has to be regimented out so that you're producing more value. Um, but the key way that capitalists increase productivity is by introducing new technology that cuts down the amount of time it takes to produce something. One worker running a machine can produce one unit of clothing in much less time than a worker uh, stitching it by hand. The introduction of the new machine lowers the socially necessary labor time required to produce the clothing and therefore lowers its value. If capitalists don't reinvest their profit in new machines and technology, if they don't accumulate more capital or means of production, um, they will not be able to lower the amount of labor time required to produce their goods. As a result, they'll lose out uh, to their competitors who do increase uh, their accumulation. But machines, uh, technology, and the means of production do not produce surplus value um, on their own like workers do. The means of production are the product of past labor, um, and their value is determined by the socially necessary labor time needed to produce them. They then, uh, the machines uh, and technology, then pass their value on to the new product they are involved in producing. Because they don't create new value, variable capital, because it was capital uh, that by putting labor power to work, expanded value to create surplus value in the course of production. The amount of new value drawn from labor can be increased by raising the productivity of labor through the use of machines and technology. So for Marx, uh, the competitive drive to constantly develop new technology, new machines, more productive techniques was central to, to capitalism. As he wrote 160 years ago in the Communist Manifesto, uh, the bourgeoisie during its rule of scarce 100 years has created more massive and more colossal productive forces than all the preceding generations put together. The bourgeoisie cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the means of production. So, for instance, uh, between 1973 and 1990, American productivity increased by 50% uh, while wages stayed stagnant. So the difference uh, went into the capitalist pockets in the form of profits. Um, according to, or uh, sorry, another result of uh, the competitive drive between capitalists is that capitalists not only expand their production by reinvesting their profits, uh, but the big fish end up swallowing the smaller, less profitable fish. Uh, as Marx explained, the leads, uh, this leads to fewer capitalist firms as well as bigger uh, capitalist firms. So this is why um, you know we're in a position now where there's three auto companies in the United States uh, or five banks. Um, this is how we got uh, you know to to the point where there's there's corporations that are too big to fail. Um, so the idea of going back to some you know products chases the bourgeoisie over the entire surface of the globe. It must nestle everywhere, settle everywhere, establish connections everywhere. So capitalism has created a truly uh, global system. There's not a single place in the world that has not been absorbed by capitalism. Through these processes and dynamics, uh, capitalism creates wealth on a scale that is unheard of in previous times, but it also denies that wealth to the, to the majority of the population that's exploited in order to produce the wealth.
So if the entire motivating force of, uh, of capitalism is for capitalists to extract as much surplus values uh, from labor as possible in order to reinvest those profits in greater production and accumulate even more, then it goes without saying that if capitalists can't get those profits and accumulate more capital, then the system grinds to a halt. While the dynamics of capitalism make it possible to make profits, they by no means guarantee it. So in order to, uh, to turn a profit and accumulate capital, the capitalist must not only extract surplus value from the workers uh, at the point of production, so steal unpaid labor, uh, but the commodities that workers produced have to actually be sold. Uh, so this is how Marx put it in Capital. Uh, quote, um, as soon as all the surplus labor possible to squeeze out has been embodied in commodities, surplus value has been produced. But this production of surplus value completes but the first act of the capitalist process of production. Now comes the second act of the process. The entire mass of commodities must be sold. If this is not done, or done only in part, or only at prices below the prices of production, the labor and those of realizing it are not identical. Um, so I'm kind of following a schema that um, was laid out by Stuart Easterling in an article in the ISR, uh, which I think Roger will announce later. Um, but uh, as a result of, of what Marx just laid out, uh, the form that economic crises take under capitalism can generally be put into two categories. Crises from the inability to ex extract enough surplus value and crises from the inability to realize that surplus value. Uh, crises in realizing surplus value are due to overproduction or overcapacity, um, and crises in extracting surplus value are due to falling rates of profit uh, and produce much deeper and intractable systemic crises. So I'm take uh, crisis of overproduction first, so crises of realizing profit. Surplus value has to be converted into money in order for capitalists uh, to be able to reinvest it and accumulate more capital. To convert surplus value into money, the commodities uh, that the surplus value is embodied in must be sold. But capitalists produce without knowing whether or not their goods will be sold. Uh, at the root of this problem is the capitalist drive for accumulation at all costs. So as Marx argued in Capital, since the aim of capital is not to minister to certain wants but to produce profit, a rift must continually ensue between the limited dimensions of consumption under capitalism and a production which forever tends to exceed this imminent barrier. So crises of overproduction are caused by the fact that the market is unplanned and chaotic. It's based on competition. The result is that they can't sell all the goods they've produced um, at a profit at a price above the cost of production. Uh, so to be clear, this isn't uh, you know production overproduction of what people need. It's overproduction um, of what people can afford to buy at prices that are profitable. Uh, so the booms of capitalism always lead to busts. Uh, roughly 10-year cycles. Um, boom periods are an upward cycle of unrestrained growth and profitability, expanded production, job creation, and greater demand leading to even greater profitability. But bust periods are a vicious downward cycle of bankruptcies, uh, contracted production, layoffs, declining wages, and decreased demand leading to greater overproduction and falling profits. Um, these cyclical crises are exacerbated by finance, banking, and credit. Uh, during the boom, uh, 
credit, banking, uh, they grease the wheels so that capital uh, can expand at a greater rate um, by lending money to capitalists so they can make larger productive investments and capture more profits. But they also make the inevitable crash that much more severe. When capitalists start losing profits because they can't sell their goods, they also aren't able to pay off their loans, which then damages the banks uh, that loan to them. Those banks then cease lending, uh, cutting off credit to other capitalists. Um, so as the Financial Times put it, um, hardly a Marxist uh, publication, uh, put it uh, in the midst of the 2008 crash, quote, banks tend to be over, banks tend to overextend themselves in the good times and are overcautious in the bad, exacerbating booms and busts. So production and overcapacity, uh, the ability to produce too much to be sold profitably, were major factors um, in the crash of 2008 uh, and are still big problems throughout the, the world. As Lee Sustar uh, explains in a recent socialistworker.org article, which I think is actually in the, the new paper that just came out, um, in the U.S., uh, manufacturing has been slowly expanding for the last 10 months. But according to the Federal Reserve, U.S. manufacturing capacity utilization in April was still only 70.8%, well below uh, the 30-year average of the past 30, well below the average of the last 30 years uh, of 79.2%. Um, even in China, the engine uh, for world growth right now, problems with overcapacity have actually increased uh, due to the global recession. In order to stimulate the economy, the government pumped even more money into productive investments geared towards uh, exports to Europe and the United States, uh, where consumers just simply can't afford uh, to buy it all anymore. Uh, but the Chinese crisis of overproduction and overcapacity is primarily centered uh, in the production of capital goods, um, the means of production. So the Chinese government recently highlighted six key industries in which overcapacity was a problem, uh, and they mentioned iron and steel, cement, glass, coal chemical, um, polycrystalline silicon, which is used uh, in the solar energy industry, um, as well as wind power equipment. So with a big BP oil spill, um, I think we could all use more solar energy and wind power, um, but the investment to buy it isn't there, and so you get overcapacity. Um, capitalists built up this, this productive capacity during the booms in order to produce more and grab more market share, but as their competitors did the same, crises run much deeper uh, and are much more difficult to resolve. They require a total restructuring of the, of the world economy rather than just restructuring a few companies um, or industries. So underlying systemic crisis is the tendency under capitalism for profit rates to fall over time. Um, as capitalists are not able to extract sufficient new surplus value out of the production process. So it's a, a crisis of, crisis of uh, extracting surplus value. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a key way in which capitalists try to outcompete each other um, is through investing in new technology and machinery in order to increase the productivity of each worker, lower the, the, the labor time required for production, lower costs, uh, and increase the amount of surplus value in each product. But that process only works uh, uh, for the first capitalists to invest, invest in the new technology. Uh, for the first adopters of, of a new technique or a new machine, um, they're able to undercut the socially necessary labor time that is the standard uh, for the rest of the industry. But by the time others invest in it, the new technology and, and the new amount of labor time uh, becomes the standard, and everyone is producing goods uh, with that new lower value. And the initial competitive advantages are then wiped out. Um, so now everyone is producing uh, on the same basis with the new technology and machinery. 
Uh, this new investment and innovation leads to more capital-intensive production as more is invested in technology and machinery in order to cut labor costs. Fewer workers can produce more. But I also mentioned earlier that labor is the source of all value and unpa unpaid labor is the source of all surplus value. So when investment in, in technology and machinery capitalism, there's a smaller pool of labor to exploit uh, and fewer workers to extract surplus value from. So you get a crisis of extracting profit. Um, so this is one of the most difficult concepts uh, in Marxist economics, um, but I also think it's one of the most important. Um, so I want to get into it a bit more uh, with a, a concrete, well, it's an abstractly concrete example. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I'm going to take this example straight straight from Chris Harmon's Explaining the Crisis, a uh, book that came out a long time ago now. Um, and I actually put it on the handout. I would, if there was a board, I would have tried to draw something, but in a hotel, I didn't figure we'd have one. Um, so it's that stage one, stage two, stage three thing. Uh, so if you guys want to take a look at that, I think it's easier to follow. Um, so, okay, so let's take a capitalist uh, producing under the average conditions for his industry. And uh, let's say he invests Oh, if people didn't get the handout, there's more up here. Um, so there's a capitalist producing under the average conditions for his industry, and he invests uh, 50 units in constant capital, the means of production, and 50 units in variable capital, or uh, labor power. Because the value of the goods he produces based on the socially necessary labor time it, um, is 150 units, um, the, then the surplus value the capitalist extracts is 50 units out of his total investment of 100 units. Um, so that puts his profit rate at 50% of uh, his overall investment. Labor-saving technology, the standard socially necessary labor time is still 150, um, but the surplus value uh, he extracts is now 75 units um, out of a invest, uh, total investment of 75 units. Um, so that puts his profit rate at 100%. But then in stage three, uh, once the other capitalists in his industry also invest in that new machinery, um, while his constant and variable capital stays the same, the standard socially necessary labor time falls to 100, uh, 100 units because everyone has now adopted that new technology. Um, and as a result, his surplus value falls to 25 units out of an investment of 75. So this now decreases his rate of profit to 33%, um, which is actually uh, below where it was before he invested in the new pro uh, productivity-enhancing uh, machinery. So while uh, the individual capitalist is compelled to accumulate more machinery and technology in order to increase productivity and stay ahead of his rivals in the short term, uh, in the long term it has the effect of increasing the means of production relative to the amount of labor uh, that can be exploited to produce new surplus value. Um, so over the long term, this leads to lower rate profit rates as capitalists can't get as much surplus value out of their investments. Uh, with declining rates of profit, capitalists are not motivated to pursue new investments in the productive economy because there isn't as much to gain. Uh, and so they look elsewhere for ways to expand their pool of money outside the productive economy. Um, so they speculate in stocks, uh, bonds, currencies, derivatives, hedge funds, all that fun stuff, um, and also engage in, in wasteful and, and luxury spending. But those active production uh, and the creation and expansion of surplus value, uh, which is the driving force of capitalism, and it leads to collapse. Um, as Marx put it, 
the rate of self-expansion of capitalism, or the rate of profit, being the goal of capitalism um, and its production, its fall appears as a threat to the capitalist production process. So the obvious uh, contradiction here is that the very dynamism and rapid innovation that capitalism forces through its competitive drive to increase productivity and profit leads ultimately to declining profitability and collapse. The very virtues that capitalism's promoters um, are constantly extolling, um, you know, about how how great and you know innovative and uh, you know uh, expanding uh, capitalism is, those things actually um, ultimately turn into the weights that pull the system down. Marx argued that this falling rate of profit is, in every res- uh, this is a quote, in every respect, the most fundamental law of modern economy and the most important for understanding the most difficult relations. It exposes that the real barrier to capitalist production is capital itself. In other words, the inherent drive to invest and accumulate capital is the same process that pushes the system into crisis. Marx, however, did not see the law as absolute. Uh, he, he argued that the tendency of the rate of profit to fall is, quote, a law whose absolute enforcement is checked, retarded, weakened uh, by counteracting causes, and that we have to look uh, at how the general trends interact with a range of other factors as per unit of investment. This could involve increasing the length of the workday, uh, cutting wages, cutting out wasted time, and increasing the intensity of the work. Any way to increase the proportion of labor that goes into producing surplus value. But there's limits to all of those methods as well. Uh, no one can work longer than, say, 16 hours uh, on a long-term basis uh, per day. Uh, wages can't be cut too far below what the worker uh, needs to feed and clothe himself in order to get back to work the next day. Um, and you can only fit so much work into each hour or each minute, etc. Um, so these limits to productivity are exactly why capitalists invest in productivity-enhancing machinery and technology in the first place. Uh, The second major counteracting factor uh, is the devaluation and depreciation of machinery, technology, and raw materials. So the lowering um, the value of the means of production. Increased productivity um, and lower costs don't just happen in one workplace or one industry. They're constantly being pursued throughout the entire system at all times. So the perpetual increase in the productivity of labor means that there is a continual fall in the amount of labor time needed to produce that same machinery, technology, and raw materials. So they get cheaper to buy. Um, And this lowers the relative value of constant capital um, and slows down the speed at which the means of production increase in relation to labor. So C to V, or the organic composition of capital, some handout. <laughs> um, there are also um, other countervailing tendencies uh, to the falling rate of profit um, that can be more or less effective uh, depending on the circumstances. Um, so, for instance, seeking uh, captive markets and cheap labor abroad, uh, luxury, and other wasteful. These counteracting tendencies do not cancel out the law of falling profit rates or make it irrelevant. Uh, they merely slow down the process through which it plays out. Despite the countervailing factors, the tendency for the rate of profit to fall continues to assert itself as capitalists continue to invest their profits in ever greater means of production in order to increase productivity and gain greater profits. So with both cyclical and systemic crises, the very dynamics that propel capitalism toward growth and prosperity also carry within them contradictions that undermine the booms and eventually break out into crisis. 
Due to the constant drive to expand profits through blind competition, uh, capitalism not only creates immense amounts of wealth, it also creates immense amounts of uh, destruction, instability, and poverty. But uh, short of capitalism being overthrown through working class revolution, capitalism will eventually uh, figure out a way to recover from crisis. Um, Leon Trotsky, the Russian revolutionary, uh, put it very well, as he often does. Um, cap he said, capitalism does live by crises and booms, just as human beings live by inhaling and exhaling. So long as capitalism is not overthrown by proletarian revolution, it will continue to live in cycles, swinging up and down. Crises and booms were inherent in capitalism at its very birth, and they will accompany it to its grave. So how does capitalism uh, actually escape from crisis and restore profitability? Uh, it must emerge at a starting point that is different from class. If the value of constant and variable capital in relation to surplus value is lowered, then the rate of profit increases, uh, which then motivates capitalists to invest and rebuild their accumulation of capital. So as we can see today, um, capitalists aim to restore profitability by laying off workers, lowering their wages and benefits, cutting social programs, etc. Uh, so the cause for austerity and sacrifice. <coughs> capitalists also try to survive the crisis at the expense of their rivals. Uh, if their rivals go bankrupt, the surviving capitalists can buy up their assets on the cheap. Firms looking to sell off their assets in order to pay off debts uh, lowers the general value of the means of production. Um, and, uh, yeah, end of sentence. <laughs> uh, overproduction and overcapacity uh, also contributes to lowering the value of capital as prices fall. In other cases, uh, capital that can't be sold is simply destroyed. Um, it's left to lay idle and rust. Um, and through this process of devaluation, depreciation, and destruction, the surviving capitalists are able to renew profitable capital accumulation. Uh, moreover, it's important to see how crises of overproduction interact with crises uh, of falling profit rates. Falling profit rates can contribute to crises of overproduction as capitalists pull back investment, lay off workers, um, limiting the ability of other capitalists to sell their goods. Likewise, uh, crises of overproduction through lowering the value of both labor and constant capital can hold down the organic composition of capital and slow down the general decline in the rate of profit. Uh, the two primary counteracting uh, tendencies to the falling rate of profit, increased rate of exploitation. Uh, his last book, um, Zombie Capitalism, which Haymarket's putting out in the fall, which is very cool, um, he summarized these processes uh, writing, in short, the decline in the rate of profit helps produce the cyclical crisis, but the cyclical crisis helps resolve the long-term decline in the rate of profit. Uh, but the important point is that capitalism can only restore growth and expansion through cutting production, destroying and devaluing capital, and throwing workers into misery. The solution to capitalist crisis is crisis itself. Uh, capitalism cannot self-expand without periodically contracting. As Marx put it, the crises are always but momentary and forcible solutions to the existing contradictions. They are violent eruptions which for a time restore the disturbed equilibrium. So uh, the Marxist view of capitalist crisis uh, that I just laid out provides a framework for understanding why capitalism is inherently driven to routinely collapse and why it needs crisis in order to restore growth. Of course, all of this isn't just about economics. Um, it also has a deep impact on, uh, on uh, every aspect of our lives. And as Marx put it, the point of all this is 
to change it. Uh, Marx saw the conceptual framework he laid out as a guide to action for resisting and fundamentally transforming the world we live in. In order to combat these, the priorities uh, and dynamics of capitalism, we have to understand how they work. Uh, capitalism can't provide for human beings, and its very driving forces are exactly what brings it down repeatedly. The class of people that produces those profits, the global working class, uh, needs to build a mass movement to reorganize society from the grassroots up, to democratically and collectively control and run the amazing productive forces that capitalism creates and destroys. Uh, so, if, you know, just imagine if all the machinery and labor-saving technology, which serves to drag capitalism down, were actually geared towards meeting the needs of humanity um, and allowing people to live fulfilling lives. Uh, the only way to achieve that will be uh, to start building the movement now through immediate struggles against the pain, misery, and injustice that capitalism continually forces upon us and upon which it depends, um, and through fighting against austerity and cutbacks on our campuses, workplaces, and our communities, we'll gain the experience and build the relationships uh, that are necessary to win. People are uh, angry that they are being forced to pay the price for a crisis caused by the rich and powerful, and it's up to us to use a Marxist understanding of how capitalism works and why it fails in order to convince wider uh, numbers of people that we need to organize and fight for a socialist society, a society that finally puts to end the absurd and destructive contradictions of capitalism. The preceding program was a production of WeAreMany.org a website dedicated to publishing radical and activist media that promotes a better understanding of today's world while also putting forward a vision for a better future. We Are Many is a project of the Center for Economic Research and Social Change. To learn more about this program or to find others like it, check out wearemany.org.